I remember a moment in my 19-year-old life, a thought came to my mind. This is not going to go well. The trajectory of my life is not going to end well. And I just wanted something different. I wanted a different life. Hey, welcome to the Lively Last Podcast. I'm James Duvall, and I'm here with the queen of shenanigans, my beautiful wife and co-host, Lisa. Hey, everyone. We want to thank everyone for listening to today's show. We'd love it if you would take time to subscribe, share, rate, and if you are inclined to leave us a review on the podcast, we sure would appreciate it. It would help us get the word out about the show and help us grow our podcast. So, Lisa, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling fresh and energized, and I'm actually pretty excited about today's podcast because awesome. it's all about me. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been looking forward to recording this episode because today I had the opportunity to interview you. Question come in, though, from a listener, and I thought we would at least start with that answer to that question. We mentioned that you are a certified Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, and mental health coach, and our listener was wondering what a mental health coach is. So can you tell us the difference between a mental health coach and a mental health therapist? There is a big difference, and this is a great question. Education. A therapist <laughs> has a lot of education. They're licensed by the state they live in. It requires a master's level or even more, ton of time under supervision as they counsel people. So a mental health coach helps a person walk through their journey to strength, connecting them with a therapist if they need to. If they don't have resources, how do they find a therapist? A mental health coach would also walk along with someone in the strategies. How's it doing? How are you applying it? How's this impacting your relationships? And just to help keep them in and on the journey of mental health. Because typically people who need mental health coaching or mental health therapy typically aren't going to go to a therapist first, right? That's right. So often people will go to a friend or a family member, but we know that they typically go to a church. And so we want to be equipped. And I've been walking people through this journey for many years, but this certification helps equip me, gives me the tools and helps me know what people are dealing with. So I know how to redirect them. That's so good. So your story is super powerful and inspiring, and I'm excited to jump into it. Uh, you've been on this journey of discovering your identity, and you often jokingly say that you could be a guest star on the former Jerry Springer TV show. So talk a little bit about your childhood, your family dynamic, and what led up to what was really the crisis point for your struggle with identity. Yeah, so I was raised by a single mom, uh, four of us in the household. My mom had full custody of my three siblings, so she felt the full weight of parenting four kids, financially, emotionally, spiritually, educationally, and then was supposed to come up with how we were going to have fun as a family all at the same time. She gets a Father's Day card from all of us or a Father's Day call every That's year awesome. also because she did it all. We would see our dad on holiday and a lot of time in the summer. So he was in our lives, but it really was more occasionally than um, a regular day-to-day or even weekly. So around 11 years of age, through a pretty heated situation that was going on in the dynamic of our house, I learned that my biological father of my siblings was not my dad. Mm. So they had a dad, the three of them. I had a different dad. There was obviously an issue in my mom's relationship with Charles, uh, my sibling's biological father. Thus, they had this divorce. And so they divorced when finally when I was two years of age. So I never grew up in a home with him. When I learned this information that he wasn't my dad, 
I hadn't even had the birds and bees conversation yet. <laughs> I was confused about this whole thing, like where did the stork drop me off and where, who, who, what's going on here? I was just really totally confused. And so finding this out, followed by the lack of detail or communication outside of that one night of this bomb drop, basically left a significant trauma and mark in my life. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm not sure if you or any of our listeners have ever experienced a situation in your past where you can like really recall vivid details about your surroundings. And, and as you review it, you are almost like you're looking in on a vignette of something that's happening of sorts. You can smell and uh, you can feel the tension you can even maybe even sense the fear or awkwardness, all emotions. You recall words, what was said, and maybe even what wasn't said. Yeah, that, I can think of times in my life, but I can't imagine to that extent or that kind of trauma. So this was obviously devastating to you. Did you start seeing that you were maybe even treated differently? Did you see differences in how Charles, your sibling's biological father, was treating them and maybe how he was treating you? Yeah, especially after I learned he wasn't it kind of made things that I had experienced prior make more sense. So I was feeling weird, but then as I learned that, I'm like, ah, that's what that was. So practically, I remember one Christmas where I watched my siblings open gifts, and those gifts were connected to them and things that they were interested in. And that particular Christmas, I got a sock full of pennies. Wait a minute, a sock full of pennies? A white sock full of pennies. Wow. Um, I didn't know how to respond in the moment, but later, that memory would make more sense. Ah, I was able to connect dots that I couldn't in the moment make the connection of. Yeah. And as a kid, as you can imagine, Christmas is a pretty big deal yeah. and gifts actually um, do matter. So it may not have been that he didn't want to get me a good gift. He just didn't know me like he knew them. Yeah. And so he didn't know how. So my chemistry and emotional connection with Charles just wasn't there. I did not feel like I belonged with yeah. him or had chemistry with him. And in my adult years later, that would all change with Charles, which is a really cool, amazing story, but only after much healing and work in my heart and mind. Thinking now the relationship that you, you have with Charles and what God did in that relationship is pretty profound when you think of growing up that way. So throughout high school, you were actually pretty broken. I know that we've talked about this throughout our marriage, and I know we all do things as teenagers that we regret, but... How are your teenage years expressed through your brokenness? Yeah, father loss is a thing for sure. One of my counselors helped me understand that my father loss had many layers. Two things that I learned in my experience of father loss was emotional and physical covering is missing. And that impact is profound on a girl. Emotionally covering, what I mean is things that strengthen a young girl's emotions. You are beautiful. You are smart. You can do anything. You're worthy of all good things. I never heard or felt any of that. I began to fill that void with other things in my life as a teenager, trying to get those feelings of worthiness and loved and appreciated. Yeah, those things build into a, a girl's self-esteem or any child's self-esteem when they're hearing words of affirmation and exactly yeah so dads out there when you're saying those things those aren't just words you're saying mm. you are establishing strength and emotional strength in your girl's heart and then the physical covering let me start with an illustration so Alex started dating our firstborn and you had a conversation with a young man that she was going to date and I if I remember you may have been cleaning your gun 
Yeah, um, the conversation hunting. definitely included my shotgun. Yeah, so your hunting rifle was out. And um, when Addie starts dating, which she hasn't yet, this young man will, we know, will receive some of the same kind of treatment. But you've provided a sense of covering for them. This young man and other people know that there is a dad that's watching out. So basically, you're saying, don't mess with my girl. I double dog Daria. Mm-hmm. As a teenager, I didn't have that. And I was vulnerable to others, and I certainly put myself in harm's way, way more than I can even count. I think sometimes, you know, for our, even our daughters, our son, to, to know what that means to have a mom and a dad who are championing them, who are speaking life over them, who are encouraging them. I can't imagine what they would be like without that confidence that comes from the backbone and strength that they don't have in their in themselves. Well, a turning point happened just after high school for you. Uh, you made a decision that became kind of the starting point for a new direction in your journey. So what was the decision and how did you come about making that decision? Well, as everyone, all of our listeners can imagine, my relationship choices were not great as I was trying to fill all these gaps. They were very unhealthy. It could have been only by the prayers of my mother that I was protected from greater harm than I actually experienced. I remember a moment in my 19-year-old life, a thought came to my mind. This is not going to go well. The trajectory of my life is not going to end well. And I just wanted something different. I wanted a different life. Um, Our pastor now says often, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I had never heard that saying before, but I now know I knew that in my heart. I needed new friends. I knew if I could go to my denomination's Christian college that I would find all Christians there. They would all be Christians and they would all help me make great choices. I laugh and you laugh because we know this isn't true, but actually miraculously, I actually did land all roommates that were Christians and friends who had goals and dreams for their life, boundaries, great relationships with other friends and family, and they had a strong faith. It wasn't perfect, but it was strong and it's what I needed. As you're saying that, I was reminded of Jim Rohn, who's known for the saying that you can't change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. And I, th- I think that's powerful that your destination actually changed because you made a decision to change your direction. And that dis- decision launched you into where you are, actually where we are today, right? You and I met in the fall of 1990, and it was kind of a fluke. You were actually supposed to meet up with my roommate but he wasn't home. And so I answered the phone and I told you, well, I'll meet up with you. I didn't have anything to do. So we decided to go for a walk. And uh, over time, we became really good friends. But you actually refused to go out on a date with me for a little over six months. So you finally yielded to me. And in 1993, we were married. Yeah. And that whole story about how we started dating is there's a debacle on all of that and discrepancy in my story, your story. But um, that's for a later time. But I know then I worked really hard to make myself unappealing to you. I was so broken and I was a complete hot mess and you weren't buying it. You were persistent. Yeah. So while we were dating, even the first few years of our marriage, I knew there was this unresolved issue of fatherlessness. But really looking back, I didn't understand the weight or the seriousness of it. You actually wrote a letter to a man named Gene Wallace. I remember you writing this letter that you thought could be your biological father. I remember how painful that was because you never received a response from him. And uh, I now know that was painful, but back then I, I really couldn't grasp it. I think the point where I really entered into your journey came when our oldest daughter, Alex, 
was around three years old. Talk about that season and how it impacted you as a young adult. Yeah, there was a realization that hit me of what I never had with a dad. A layer of loss set in. Thankfully, God's grace, I never felt like resentment for the relationship you and Alex had, um, Lexi, back then. I actually was able to celebrate with her and with you this relationship that you had and I could see forming. And I instinctively, I knew that you and I would be a transitional generation for her. And we talk about this idea of transitional generations quite a bit when we talk with couples who are about ready to get married because we all bring baggage. And for you, the baggage you were bringing into our marriage was fatherlessness. And so the fact that our relationship has been strong for 27 years and our kids have known what it is to have a mom and a dad in the home has been transitional for what our kids will experience and what our grandkids will experience and great-grandkids will experience down the road. I love it. Uh, You know, in that season, I became aware of expectations that I had on you as a husband that were really meant for a dad to fill. And it wasn't until that season that this became aware to me. This is where I reflect back and I see God had a plan for me, and it was you. Um, You gave me space to learn and heal. You never threw up my brokenness to me. So when I acknowledged to you, hey, I think I have expectations of you that I should have had of a dad, you never said, well, that's one of those expectations. You can't expect me to do that. You were just so gracious to me. So ladies, this is when you appreciate a man a few words because <laughs> you're a man a few words and I had a lot and I gave you a lot of reasons to have a lot of words, but you just loved me well. You may not have known what to do, but you loved me well in word and in action and giving me space and coming alongside of me. Most time fathers are the first men to love girls. Most of the time, Alex and Addie, the first man who loved them was you in my situation you were the first man to love me. Mm. Um, you continue to do that well, Mr. Duval. <laughs> yeah, waves of emotions could come and go in that season, but really the current of emotion was always there. It was There's this baseline current of emotion that really told the story of, of our relationship and marriage. We, we had a great marriage, but there was always this navigating of this sense of this hole in your heart that even though I could feel it as a, as a man, as you said, you know, I loved you. you know, there's this question mark of your biological father. And as our kids start getting older, it's like, what should we know about health and about history history that, that we our kids need to know and so forth? That was all part of that season. Yeah. This hurt was just, like you said, it was just right under the surface, a thin surface. So you just pick it and it just comes out. I knew I needed help to navigate all the feels I was feeling, and I knew it would be important for me as an individual, but I knew that it would be important for us as a married couple and for our family. I had an awareness that if I did not process all this information, all these feels in a healthy way, it would impact me, my role as a wife, mom, daughter, sister, friend, leader. I was introduced to an inner healing process that would shift the paradigm. It would begin the process of me healing, but I know that I'm always on a lifetime journey of this. Yeah, so I want to fast forward several years, and it was just after your inner healing experience that you actually made the decision that you were going to stop pursuing your biological father. You settled that you would never know who he was, and that was a powerful moment because that inner healing time for you really was transformational. So what you didn't know at the time was I had been working with one of your family members to see if he could find out about this guy, Gene Wallace, 
who was the only guy that we felt could have been your biological father. I remember we were at the house and you got a phone call from this family member. Talk about what the call was and how it impacted you. Yeah, I remember the time I was sitting with our daughter, Alex, and we were doing algebra homeschooling with her and going through all that fun stuff. And I received a phone call from this family member. And he began by saying, James had asked me to reach out to Jean and make a connection between the two of you, which was the first that I actually knew. I had dropped the search, but you had picked it up. So I was like, oh, this James, I love this guy. But my family member continued on, and he said, I'm sorry, I did not do what James asked me to do. And Jean Wallace passed away yesterday. And I was like, what the... And so we could insert some emojis, Christian cussing (laughs) right here. Um, Uh, I had done such great work and found such healing. And this really just hit me like a two before, just like I turned around. It was just right in the head. Again, father loss looked different for me where I hadn't had it all that the emotional and physical and the covering before. Now there was no funeral for me, no viewing for me, no flowers were sent. There was no after dinner funeral gathering to celebrate a life. There were no cards. There were no, no, I'm sorry. There was no, no, nothing. Friends and family did not know what to do. They may not even know it happened. I had a lot of friends and people close to me because I wasn't talking about this um, and where I was in this journey. So there was a deep sense of loneliness that set in. And this is when the complicated layer of grieving started unpeeling and happening for me. Yeah, I remember that time because at the time I was kind of going through my own leadership journey of learning some things about me. And I realized that one of the areas for myself that I needed to develop in was empathy. And it was during the season that I realized that I wasn't leaning in, into empathy for you. And I remember the conversation where you really laid out for me that January 17th was always difficult for you because you had to grieve alone. And that was always hard. So I remember making a decision, I think it was 2013, 2014, that I wasn't going to allow you to do that. So I put on my calendar so I wouldn't forget and wouldn't go by, just that I was going to send you flowers uh, every year and just to to know that you weren't alone in that. So that was for me also very a growing lesson for me because it helped me grow in my empathy just to walk through that season with you. You know, I want to jump in there because I think there's an important marriage lesson. It was a couple of years that January 17th went by, I think too, that you did not acknowledge that. I didn't know how I felt, but I knew I needed to communicate to you. I wish that you would acknowledge that date, and you weren't defensive. I wasn't bitter, but you weren't defensive, and we walked it out differently. And I think that's a great lesson for wives not to be bitter and process, and it's great for husbands not to be defensive and just to act. And so it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful part of our relationship. That's cool. March 2017, I actually surprised you with a birthday present. And I purchased for you an Ancestry DNA kit. It was the sweetest gift ever. So seven years had passed, much healing and much counseling had happened. And it was the right time to bring some closure in my life. But with that, there was a lot of anxiety of like the what ifs. What if he isn't my dad? How do I have a conversation with my family? This has been a secret in my family. All those what-ifs, but it was pretty exciting. Yeah, I know that I was just as excited and probably like a kid in a candy store getting the DNA swab and everything. And we spent some time filling out family tree and 
we put Gene Wallace as your father and hoped that the DNA result would give you the answer that you really wanted to know is, was he really your biological father? And also we were really praying that if he was, because he had passed away, that it would connect you with some family members that would fill in the gaps and give you some background. I remember we were in the Dominican Republic. Every year we do a just the two of us trip where you and I just get away together. And we were waiting on our ride to take us back to the airport when I received an email uh, saying that the results were in from your DNA match and, th- and that they actually found the match. And the match was your first cousin on your biological father's side. Uh, talk about that moment. What was going through your mind? How did you feel? I love it. Um, well, number one, I feel like I should explain how ancestry DNA works because a lot of times, actually, people have challenged me on my family side, my newfound family side, that this can't be true. But you put your DNA in, just like my cousin Todd did. He put his DNA in um, ancestry DNA because he wanted to do a history search and he wanted to find out did we have history going back to revolutionary times or whatever. So he didn't do it to find family. He did it to find history. And so my DNA lined up with my first cousin. That's kind of how it works. Anyway, I get this email from my cousin that says, what's up, cuz? Do tell. Uncle Gene thought he could not have kids. This was the happiest, saddest email ever. Happy DNA proved he was my dad. Sad He was my dad, and I was his only child, and he never knew. He never knew he could have kids, and he never knew he had me. Father loss went to a whole nother level, but this cousin was a godsend. He is a historian. He has more information, more artifacts, more photos. I still receive care packages from him to this day that will have Wallace family treasures. I've gotten a quilt for my grandma. I've gotten my grandfather's, all of his shaving material and eye spectacle glasses. He has really brought some healing and some information to me that I needed. It's been really cool just having him in our life. So now that you knew who your biological father was and that was proven, you had to have a really tough conversation with your mom because she's been really unwilling to talk to you about this up to this point. Again, being pretty proactive your counselor suggested that you need to go have this conversation with your mom. So I actually booked the airline ticket for you, right, and sent you out there on Mother's Day. She thought you were just coming to find the Memphis to see her, but you were actually intentionally going to tell her about ancestry DNA and that you found your biological father. Share about that conversation. Yeah, my mom, she's one of the bravest women ever. Her generation is called the silent generation for a reason. My mom's generation are the people who say, you're going to suck it up and get tough. If there's any kind of baggage, you just push it on the rug and you plow on through. But this was a healing time for me to have a necessary conversation with her, but it actually brought a sense of relief to her. Healing for me because I was 11 and never had a conversation since I was 11 about my dad. So conversation at 11, conversation at 40, whatever I was. Of course, Gene did not think he could bear children, and he didn't believe her, and really no one believed her, and so this brought relief because DNA cannot lie. So the bottom line healing was for the two of us in our relationship, independently and then together. I was a little concerned that she was going to be upset with me, uh, that I actually meddled in family business, but actually it really became a sense of relief to her. Yeah, this this is where my story and my journey intersects with someone else's story and journey. And my mom's story is a private story for her, for her to tell and for her to process. So for me to speak out about it, 
is to actually tell her story. I want to be careful. I yeah. want to be honoring. But in that day, back then, you have a child out of wedlock. You are not, it's a, sh- it's a shame. Yeah. It's, it's a shame and you are shamed. And so for her, in a very dysfunctional relationship, she needed to feel love as any woman would. And of course, the byproduct was someone beautiful and fabulous and glorious <laughs> and fun. And that's me. That's true. And that really became the open door for you to begin to share uh, more publicly your story because you always wanted to honor your mom. And so you've been very careful about giving details and sharing. And to this day, you're still very intentional and very honoring your mom. But it was a very much a healing time for you and your mom. That's right. Yeah, because she wasn't going to talk. She isn't talking a whole lot about a lot of this stuff. And so people made speculations. And they actually talked to me about those speculations as I was growing up as a little girl without her being presence of hearing that. So I had a lot of family members talking about who my daddy was. This is where Jerry Springer comes on. So who's your daddy episode of Jerry Springer? I lived that out, but it wasn't an earshot of her. So I carried a lot of this shame and not knowing how to communicate with her. So yeah, this there's so much so much here and so much healing here and my relationship with her in this situation. Okay, we're going to put a pin in the conversation for now. However, next week, I want to pick up with the story. Uh, I want to talk about when you met your biological family for the first time and some of the big ahas come as a result. I also want to spend some time talking about your discovery, the Enneagram, your process of being certified as a coach and what you've learned and what you're continuing to learn about yourself. So until next week, we want to thank everyone for listening, seeing that this is a new podcast. It means so much to us. If you would get the word out by sharing this episode and maybe telling your friends and family about the podcast. Yeah, and if you'd like to take time to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, we would be so stoked about that. That act of kindness will help us spread the word. We want to let you know you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Live Lead Last Podcast. But before we go, we want to make sure that you know that Anchor, the host platform for our podcast, has a fun feature that allows you as our listeners to be an active participant in our podcast. You can actually send us voice messages with your comments and questions that we can work in the future episodes. I put a link in the show notes that you can access this tool. Uh, You can also download and use the Anchor app as well. Lisa, this has been really great today. I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation next week. Absolutely. Remember, the way you live your life and leverage your influence today will determine the legacy you leave tomorrow. Until next week. Bye-bye.